0: If you're building a brand, you've almost certainly heard that you need to be doing content marketing too. That usually means starting a company blog, which means you need to produce content to put on that blog. But the important question you should be asking is why do I need a content marketing strategy? And what type of content should I produce? In this week's episode, I get Blogs for Brands founder Yoon Kim to answer all that and more. He gives us strategies for developing the right kind of content marketing that increases sales and awareness and other things to consider when planning your branded storytelling. We dive pretty deep and I throw a lot of questions at him at once. But by the end of this podcast, you'll know how to develop your own content marketing strategy based on your goals and with performance metrics you can measure. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRuler.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. All right, Yoon, you are the founder of Blogs for Brands, which uh, from the name of it kind of makes it sound sort of obvious what you guys do, but I know you do a little bit more than that. So uh, first things first, just to give kind of people a little background, give me the
1: you know, 60 second elevator
0: pitch on what Blogs for Brands does.
1: Sure thing. So Blogs for Brands is a full service digital agency. We started with blog and over time our clients wanted us. Um, to do more than just blogs. So we took on social, eventually we took on email, and now um, we became a Google partner and we do ads. So those are the four things we do, email, social media, blog, and ads. Um, And we're pretty centric to the outdoor industry. So we work um, pretty heavily in bike and ski and like traditional outdoor, human powered outdoor, and we've got a little bit of hunted fish also. Um, So that's kind of what we are. We're We're a digital marketing agency um, in the outdoor space.
0: Alright on and is that topical focus, is that just because that's what you guys are interested in or is that just where the clients happen to come from?
1: You know, that's that's my personal interest. So I used to work at um JP Morgan in finance. Um, and at one point in my life I just decided I decided that like I want to do what I want to do. Um, and so it just became obvious that I want to be in the outdoor industry. So that's it that was my personal um, ambition to break into the outdoor industry. I I spent quite a bit of time trying to get in. I eventually broke in, and now we're kind of succeeding as an agency. Nice. So
0: there's actually kind of like two tacks I want to take with this conversation. One is there, there are a couple of questions I want to ask you about your business and how you run it. Um, but the main focus is getting some strategy tips from you for brands that think they need a content marketing strategy. So let's let's start with little bit about your company. So with blogs for brands, the one thing that stood out is that on your website there's absolutely nothing that's clickable. There's and I can't email you, I can't call you, like I can't even see what you guys do. It's just a logo list of your clients and some names of some people that write for you. So what's the strategy behind that and how do you actually go out and get new business if people can't contact you from your
1: website? So <clears throat> the strategy that um... And this is, <laughs> you and I had a, had a conversation about um, this strategy piece. It's intentionally vague. Um, and a lot of that is because um, we're, so the people who brought me into the outdoor industry are my PR friends. And I wanted to make it clear that we're not a PR agency. Also, we left contact information on the website for a couple of years. And we actually had a, a really kind of aesthetically pleasing, you know, mobile responsive um, agency looking website for, for a time. And the leads that we got through our website for like in almost a period of two years were just garbage leads. Um, there weren't even leads. They were just like, you know, spammers from India. So we ended up taking it all that stuff down, stripping it down, making everything unclickable. Um, and that's not our content strategy anymore. Our content, our content strategy, we have a gear blog, um, called Gearographer and, um, and you know we develop relationships with with brands through that channel, um, but I just I just question the value. And you know, I read a lot of things about like, hey, you know, content marketing agencies should have a content strategy. And I just question the value of like having a content strategy around your agency, because essentially all you're doing is, well, you're not the stuff that the stuff that you're sending out is not actually being read by makers at brands. They're being read by other agencies, and that's mm-hmm. what happened. We used to have this really in depth. <laughs> this is funny. I just remember this. We had this in-depth strategy where we would take these really complicated SEO articles and turn them into infographics. And so that's what the strategy was called. It was complicated SEO articles into infographics. And we used to push these things out. And the only people who followed us were like essentially other SEO, like our competitors, like other SEO agencies, other marketing agencies. So then we were like, Hey, why are we doing this? All we are doing is, you know, like, you know, feeding, taking this like really complicated information and making it easy to easy to digest for people who like we not trying to sell to these people so then we we switched gears and kind of went like to the opposite end of the spectrum and made everything unclickable became very vague <laughs> all right well, it sounds uh, uh, like you're giving away theory. all your secrets to your competition you know it wasn't I, i'm not worried about that i'm not worried about giving away secrets like execution is ninety percent you know ideas are worthless without execution it was more of just like the like a lot of time and energy was going into something that just is not productive um so that's that was at the end of the day i mean that's just i don't know it's not a great reason to revert back to an non clickable website so we are going to we are we are in the middle of a rebrand and um we're going to launch a new website um but it, there'll be a little bit different strategy into it yeah so
0: i would think you know outside looking in that the reason why a company like yours or whoever you know whatever is posting a blog with all this intellectual content about their subject matter expertise would be to simply reinforce that they are in fact experts on that subject matter so that potential clients have confidence in them. Uh, A, like, was that the reason you guys are producing that content? But then also, like, without that, how do you convince potential clients that you guys know what you're talking about?
1: I mean, it's just apparent in conversation. Like people, when, you know, and that's, and that's what I figured out about the buying cycle. Like people don't go to a website and then just get impressed because it's an amazing website and decide, you know what, I want to buy from these guys. I'm going to call them. I, I mean, maybe the occasion, I, I guess the way I'd say it is like, I left my site up like that for, for a couple of years and we ran, you know, like, like lead, lead campaigns and it didn't, you know, like lead magnets and that kind of thing. And it just didn't lead to anything. And maybe it was, we were too early. Um, and so we just changed our approach. I mean, that's how, I don't think that's how people buy. I think people buy in person. And also, we're not like this – we're not trying to, you know, pull on – you know, we, we turn down more deals than we take on um, because we wanted, we're we a boutique agency. We want to do a good job um, with the clients that we're working with. We also want to make sure it's a good fit. So um, it's not like we're – I'm out there trying to, like, get every single lead. its It's we're trying to find – the partners that are going to be a great fit for us. Yeah. So how do you find new business? It's conversation. A lot of it's word of mouth. I'd say probably half our clients are word of mouth. Um, and you know, we do like a little bit of prospecting through outdoor blogger summit, which is a conference you went to. Right. Um, but I mean, it's mostly through conversation. We go to, you know, a good number of trade shows. Um, I've got a lot of good friends, our existing clients we're, were, we're always asked for referrals. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, I just think that's how people buy is, um, is, and back to your question on like credibility and, and, and authority, you know, once you have a, a half, half hour, an hour conversation with me about like technical details of like, how am I going to drive my e-commerce numbers? you know, you walk out of that conversation and be like, man, this guy really does retail strategy. That's not something I can communicate through a website. That's something that it requires me kind of asking a bunch of questions on, you know, how is your ERP linked? What's your, you know, whatever your CRM strategy, what's this, what's that? You know, how are you building leads? Um, what's your total direct to wholesale? Those are the kind of, and then, and, and those are the conversations where the credibility comes from.
0: Let's shift into the, the main topic, which is content strategy and like why or if people need it. So, but I wanna start with Geographer then. Do you guys just use that as a platform to test strategies?
1: Uh, I would say that for a good time, that was <clears throat> kind of our, one of our um, lead generation strategies because we developed relationships with um, you know, PR folks or the brands. Um, and so, and that, that was a good way to, um, kind of get our foot in the door, uh, better than like cold calling or mass emailing or whatever. Um, so that's, that was kind of the purpose of that. Also, you know, I get quite a bit of free gear out of it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's
0: interesting. It's almost like a sales tool is like, instead of telling people how good you are at something, you know, like just show them what you could do in their space. So for content strategy, it, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because it's. To me, it's one of those things where a lot of brands think they need one, and maybe they have an idea of what that actually means, maybe not. But, you know, first of all, like, why would a brand let's just, I I think, let's say Tinkara Royals, I just interviewed Daniel last week, and um, so we used them as an example. I think you guys have worked with them. Like, why would somebody like Tinkara need a content strategy? And, and you know what, before that, like, just in your own words, like, what is a content strategy in this day and age?
1: There used to be a definition that when people referred to content marketing, like this was a definition made up by the content marketing Institute, which is i I'm not really sure what that is. Like a, I mean, it's like an an actual entity that like has trade shows and this and that. Um, but their definition used to be that content marketing is about blog marketing. Um, they've changed the definition to be about like just using content to market. Um, which, I don't know. It kind of makes that definition a little bit too broad and and generic, um, to be useful, but that's not, I mean, I guess I look at it from the other way around. It's not like, Hey, we need this content and we're not sure why it's really like, Hey, what are the business goals? And what's the, you know, the most efficient and like highest ROI producing slash, you know, most authentic way to get there. Right. Because you don't want to lose authenticity with your customer, but you also don't want to waste all this money on content that that's not getting read. Um, And that's how, that's how the content piece comes up. It's usually, it doesn't start with content. It starts with like, what are your business goals? Well, my business goals is to grow our direct channel, whatever to from 10 to 20% over the next two years. Great. Okay. You know, what are your, what's your plan to get there? You know, and then you start digging into what channels are you driving, you know, revenue well you know email is my second top driving channel well you know what's your revenue you know what's your potential there and that's kind of how we get to the tactics is we start with the business goals and then we start recommending the tactics based on their business goals if that makes sense
0: yeah it does um i guess explain the content side of it more in that oh why would yeah well my understanding of it is and you know most people know by now, like I I run BikeRumor.com, so we produce content every day, you know, and and we are doing a lot of, you know, just informational content about new bike products, right? So let's say you were a brand in the bike space. You want to get your, your story told out there. Um, I think some people are thinking they need all of that content on their own site. In your estimation, is that kind of a fair... Uh, not misconception, but is that tend to typically what people think of? Like brands when they think, oh, we need a content, some content marketing content strategy is that we need to produce some content for ourselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's typically, um, <clears throat> but then like, you know, as soon as I hear like, Hey, we need a content strategy, then I'll take, I'll take a step back. I'll I mean, I'll just say like, okay, you know, why, like what, what is driving this? And a lot of times they'll say, uh, you know, because I feel like it's good for us and it'll be good for, and then I'll kind of like challenge them and say like, Hey, that's a lot of money you're going to spend into something that you, you know, you really want to know why, um, why you're spending this money. A lot, I mean, like a lot of times we'll talk ourselves out of deals. I mean, I just don't want to start a, a campaign if I know that, like that why piece isn't there. Yeah. I, is this making sense? I, know. Yeah, actually, like, the that's... only reason.
0: Not that I wanted to steer the like steer it to a specific answer, but that's really, I think, what I wanted to get at, whether I knew it or not, is that maybe not everybody needs this full-on content strategy. And and if yeah. so, like there's different ways to go about it.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly how I would say it. I would say, like a lot of times when I after hearing the business goals of a brand, I'll be like, well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Okay. So I take that, I take, let me take a step back there. Whenever we're talking about content strategy and it's kind of like vague, amorphous, you know, pretty much as a brand, you need content, <clears throat> you need photos, you need, you know, you need like a like an emotional connection to your consumer and you're not going to do that with just product. Like you have to have some lifestyle there. Um, so, <clears throat> but when you're talking like specific strategies, like, you know, blog strategy or social media strategy or email strategy, like, like specific types of content. Um, sometimes it makes sense. I mean, sometimes I'll get a brand that wants to do a blog. They don't have a direct business. They have no intention of ever opening a direct, you know, or starting um, a direct channel. Um, and then I'll be like, okay, great. So you want it for the brand awareness side, but then the brand awareness goals aren't very clear. Um, so then I'll be like, well, actually, I don't, I wouldn't recommend this. I would recommend that you use a social media strategy or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, and by direct, you you mean like direct sales, right? Like if I'm not selling something directly off my website, then it may not make a lot of sense to be yeah trying to draw people in well, with storytelling. I
1: mean, well, not necessarily because <clears throat> yeah. So that that is what I'm talking about. So what I mean by direct is com. Usually, so usually the 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 you know, the marketing manager or whoever, um, they know that there is like, you know, for example, blog is a way to grow your, your direct channel or your e-commerce because you collect all this SEO juice and then you can push that SEO juice in your category pages. So a lot of times they know that going into the conversation. So when I hear, so a lot of times when we have meetings with people, they, they already know what they want. Hey, we want to improve our SEO to our category pages And I know that one way to do that is, you know, by, you know, collecting links through the blog. Um, And then the context will already be set and I kind of already know what their goals are. And then I have to ask them, okay, what kind of content? Do you want SEO content? Do you want viral content? Do you want, you know, kind of like short and poppy or do you want like brand building stories? Like, and then we can kind of hone down, um, get a little bit deeper in the weeds in terms of strategy like that. Um, But yeah, I guess I forgot what your question is, but, (laughs)
0: It's it's kind of been a lot of them thrown out there. Well, let's let's talk about that that type of content then real quick. So like maybe you could give me an instance or two where somebody like what kind of brand is going to benefit best from an SEO based content strategy versus a viral versus just straight up brand building and actually like how would a brand building content campaign be different from an SEO based one?
1: So a lot of brands will approach us from the SEO side of things. And then a lot of brands will approach us from the brand awareness. We want to tell our brand story side of things. Um, and I'd say it's it might be 50-50. It's probably more more SEO than anything. But the SEO side is, pre- is pretty easy. Um, the brand building is – okay, so I'll give an example. So I had a conversation yesterday. I won't name the client. I guess I could, but maybe I shouldn't. I we had a conversation yesterday about, <clears throat> you know, um, it's this company that is kind of consolidating all these different brands and how do we, like, integrate our communication but also, like, break out our communication into different segments. So my recommendation was, well, create a central, um, you know, communication platform, a.k.a. a blog. This is essentially what Thrillist did. Um, and then Thrillist, what they did is they tackled in, individ, like one by one they tackled different geolocations, um, and they just became like very widely read in in like maybe five different cities, and then eventually grew into like a hundred cities that they cover, whatever it is. So, um, so on the brand building side, you know, essentially, you know, this this would have become this would become a central publication and maybe the best way to say like, is like this, whenever someone Googles, you know, a particular topic and they land on your, your article and they read through and it may have nothing to do with, with the product. It may just be a lifestyle story and they read through and they walk out and they say like, huh, who, where did I read this? And they see, they see a brand and then they leave. And then, you know, maybe if, a few months later, they, they do the same thing. They're Googling another topic, and they're like, huh, I read an article from them, and then it's that brand again. Again, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with the product, but you're building that 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 brand trust um, through this very authentic content, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like, so like that would maybe, be brand brand. maybe Eddie Bauer is a good example of that, because I think they do like their guide stories, right? Like, It's not necessarily about a specific product. It's more about what are these guides out there doing and in this lifestyle and it's more aspirational, but of course they're all wearing Eddie Bauer product.
1: Yeah. And you know, and and I would say that that that's probably the type of content that i I would say that I like the least, which is these first person stories that, um, are kind of, they're like trip reports and maybe your friends and family will read it, but there's really no strategy or purpose to that content. Um, and I mean, you know, people write about that stuff all the time. It's usually, that's usually what a, a content strategy is for a brand. They hire ambassadors and they say, Hey, you owe us three articles a month and the ambassador doesn't really know what to write about. So they just write about their trips and like, there's no SEO value in that. And there's no strategy value in that, you know, cause you can't put that on social and say, look what our ambassador said and talked about how cool his trip was. You know, it's kind of not that cool and doesn't really engage the the reader on the other side. Um, but you know, I'll give an example. Like, so what I mean by brand building is, so Leatherman is one of our clients. We, um, help populate their blog and there might be a story on like how to sharpen the can opener on a multi-tool. Right. And this has, it has to do with the product, but it's, there's no shopping intent for someone who's searching for that, that particular query. Well, they may re, you know, type that exact query into Google, read the story, walk out and be like, Hmm, they're very authoritative on, you know, the angle of the blade and the length of the blade and the design, so it doesn't compete with other functions on the multi-tool. You know what I mean? And then it just builds that authority and um, and that credibility, and so that's like a brand building piece. The SEO piece is usually driven more towards specific products. So, you know, what's the difference between product A and product B? Why should I buy product A? You know. Um, why <clears throat> why is product a trendy you know something like that and then it's specific to the product category of the brand um you know and then you have a chance to sell them and you know you rank high for you know for shopping intent based searches i don't yeah. know if i'm explaining this very yeah well. no
0: that i think that explained it really really well is the brand thing so like the the brand building side i'd say it's almost like more educational right like and it doesn't necessarily have to be educational specific to your product as long as it's sort of like category specific to the things that you sell I and mean, then like you said it builds authority um, which is kind of sort of what you guys were doing with your blog to an extent before you can't not the geographer the you know whatever you had on blogs for brands right like you were talking about seo and things that mm-hmm. you guys could do, but you were really just explaining yeah. it in a way that it was universe applicable and then viral. All right, well, let's let's talk about viral for a minute. Like how if somebody wanted to do a content strategy for just going viral, um, like how do you do that? Because I think everybody wants to know that.
1: Well, now I'm going to revert back to blog strategy. <clears throat> um, when when we say content strategy because content strategy is is so all encompassing you know like we we're talking about earlier that kind of doesn't really refer to any channel or any um, particular platform um but let's let's I'll just hone in on blog strategy so there's a couple ways that um that you can benefit from viral and usually viral is is like the one of the least popular um types of content so <clears throat> You know, we have four, so the way that we do it, we have four different tiers of content, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. It's the same thing as a magazine. You have your cover story, you have your features. There's usually two features per book. Um, And then you have your front of book stories, or they also call them, you know, roundups, or listicles or whatever. Um, And then you have your sidebars or call-outs. That's kind of what they call them in print. And essentially, that's, that's what the viral piece is. And what you're doing is you're trying to collect the traffic of something that's about to go viral before everyone has seen it. And so you kind of become an authority of like, Hey, we have your daily digest of viral videos related to this topic. Um, so come check out our blog or follow us on social media. So an an example of that might be like, if you're able to really well curate, you know, viral cat videos, which is, we have a client that, um, like we find viral dog and cat videos. And we post them on social, um, you know, before they have gone mainstream. Um, and so part of the reason that you know this client is followed on on social media is because we're able to provide that curated, you know, like pre-viral content, if that makes sense. And then if you get people clicking into the blog to read it, then a) you've gained a follower, and then b) you've gained um, some traffic. And there's not a ton of SEO, you know, that'll go. Um, there's not really an SEO play there, it's just kind of a brand building play, if that makes sense.
0: So you're, you're just sort of making it easy for people to find what's cool and thereby sort of providing a service and that's kind of drawing people in.
1: So think of it like this. The, the easiest example I can think of is Gear Junkie. So they'll find these videos, that's so funny because we used to run this for them a long time ago, <laughs> like a couple of years ago. We used to provide them with all these viral videos before they went viral and then we would write like a little 50 word caption for it, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I'm just from, it might've been three years ago anyway. Um, and it was just over the course of like a winter or something like that. Anyway. So <clears throat> um, you know, half the pe- half the reason people follow gear junkie, you know, partly on social media, I should say specifically Facebook um, is like, sure they want to get like in-depth reviews on gear, but really like the other half is, they're a curator of, you know, newsworthy content. A lot of time, that's viral videos that have, that they've found before they've gone viral. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the best way to explain that. Okay, so
0: that that begs two questions. A, how do you find that content before it goes viral? And then B, with Gear Junkie as an example, like what was the benefit to them? Were people coming in and clicking around the rest of the site and thereby driving up page views for them? or some other metric that you guys were measuring.
1: So from a publication standpoint, it's just a traffic play because you get people in, they get served an ad, you know, bounce rate is 90%. They might spend like, you know, if they might spend an average of a minute on the page, um, minute, minute 20, depending on how long the video is. Um, but they've been exposed to the brand and they've also built a little bit more loyalty because, you know, like that, that publication has proved its worth by curating this content. Um, and sorry, what was your question again?
0: Yeah. No, no, so the, the I got to stop asking so many at once. Yeah. The first question is like, how do you find this viral content before it goes viral?
1: Oh, so a lot of times, ta- I mean, a lot of times it's, it's pitched by writers. So, you know, like, and we have, whatever, a couple dozen writers writing for us at any given time. So what that means is <clears throat> they're out there finding the funny stuff and then they pitch it and then we'll say, like, you know, go ahead. We even have a couple writers who, <clears throat> um, like, their gig is to find, like, the funny viral videos. Um, like, they're, they're almost like a columnist, but their column is this, like, viral video column, if you will, right. um, for different brands. Are there some um, tricks but, to I mean, finding you, the good viral stuff, like early? Yeah, just just go to Reddit. I mean, Reddit has all the stuff before it goes viral. Like you can you can you can go to any subreddit and follow that subreddit. So if you're interested in finding you know bike videos before they go viral, or even while they're going viral, um, follow the bike or you know MTB or you know whatever it is road. Um, subreddit and then usually the content will just comes to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before it's gone mainstream.
0: <clears throat> All right. So from the, the content, you, you keep going back to blog. So let's stick to like blogs for a sec. As far as writing, like for a brand, you know, let's uh, we'll use Leatherman as an example, right? Like, so how often should a brand be trying to pump out new content on their own blog?
1: I mean, again, it just depends on what their goals are. Usually the goals are pretty clear and you're trying to achieve a, like a very particular metric. Um, so I mean, if your metric is metric for success is like, Hey, you know, we want a hundred thousand pages a month, you know, every month. And we need that in six months and you have to produce X amount of content to get there. If your goal is, Hey, we want to rank, you know, we want to move from number seven to number three for this search term then you have to, your content strategy completely, completely changes. Um, You know, it's not about like getting link juice into a whole bunch of articles. It's about writing, you know, maybe 20 really well researched articles around that particular keyword phrase. Um, So again, it just goes back to like what the, what the business goal is. And that even goes a step further. I mean, it's like, usually it's some kind of digital goal, um, and then the digital goal is driven by some kind of business goal, right? And usually the business goal is like, you know, we want to grow our direct business or we don't want to grow our direct business, but we need to acquire this many, con, you know, this many customers for our um, brick and mortar business, something like that. Does that, does that make sense? It all goes yeah. back to like retail strategy, essentially.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a great explanation is that whatever the strategy is. It's, so it's not like, well, we just need to post one thing a week, it's we need to post. Based on like what you said, you know, a specific goal, and it's the strategy is different based on what your goal is. So, no, that's a really good answer. Uh, now, let's talk about paid versus unpaid, and what I mean by that is, you know, so I've been reading up a lot on content strategy lately, and it seems like you've kind of got to realize that for a brand, your blog is not generally a destination, whereas like. Let, 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 I'll use bikes as an example since I'm in that space. Like, let's say, you know, Pivot Cycles is writing a blog on their site, right? Like, the chances of most consumers going to Pivot's website every day just to see if there's some new content is pretty slim. Whereas with Bike Rumor, they know there's going to be new content every day, so they're coming there and they're coming to see. And, you know, when Pivot has news, it'll get up there. And and so what I've been reading lately is that you might be pouring as a brand, you might be pouring a lot of time and energy into making this beautiful content that then has almost no audience. So what's your take on uh, producing content for your own in-house you know, brand blog versus producing that content and then actually paying to have it placed? out in the, you know, on sites like say bike rumor or gear junkie or wherever, where you actually have a, an audience.
1: I mean, I think that like <clears throat> we had that opportunity to come up a long time ago with TGR, um, which was basically, I think it was like to syndicate a story on their mountain stories page or something like that. I forgot it was a couple of years ago. Um, and I mean, I think it's a great idea. It's just, I mean, it, it all goes back to like, you know your return on the campaign if your if the campaign is aimed at like okay at the end of the day most campaigns are 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 met, like most digital campaigns are measured in some form of ROI right through e-commerce sales um and if there's kind of like this long-term goal of building SEO because SEO does have high return it just takes a long time and it's pretty expensive but the return is really big um then, sure, like yeah, go ahead and syndicate a piece of content into a publication. But it would also make sense. I mean, usually what a marketer's thinking is they're having burning fires at Q four, and they're like, we have to read a cert- reach a certain <laughs> revenue goal. We're not interested in getting stories tr- like traffic on stories. I would rather put a product page and an ad and ha- see like, you know conversions through click-throughs versus like, you know, some brand building um, traffic. Like, you know, which I'm sure is, is good and it, it does accomplish a different goal. It's just that's usually not how, how the buyer thinks, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, from a brand's perspective, like, let's say, again, Leatherman, like, let's say Leatherman has this really mm-hmm. nice editorial piece that they want to put out. Maybe, maybe it's that how to sharpen your can opener blade one. Um, <clears throat> if they were going to pitch that to, say, Gear Junkie, like what are some best practices for putting that out there, assuming the media outlet isn't going to just take your money and repost exactly what you wrote, you know, because there's, I mean, I, I believe there's some ethical concerns in that unless it's fully disclosed as basically just a paid sponsored post. But like as a brand, what should the brand be doing to try and encourage that type of content to get picked up in the mainstream media?
1: You know, I see a lot of that stuff, like a lot of these press releases about like like brand-specific stories that are not newsworthy that they want a publication to pick up, and there's no cash involved. So, like I I never really understand like why that press release was ever written in the first place because no one's gonna cover it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like just, sometimes a brand will have like a like a professional athlete that won some award and you know like some, some like niche of a niche circle that. I mean, I'm sure it's cool, but it's not newsworthy. And then they'll create a press release and send it out to like, you know, publications expecting it to get picked up. And it's like, it's not that cool of a story. All right? Uh, is Great. that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, yeah. So
0: that's an example of what not to do. Like what's, how could a brand position their content? Like what should they be doing with their content to encourage it to get picked up if it's not paid or if it is paid? Like what are some best practices for, uh, you know, like doing it without it, ended up looking just like a, they're running an ad.
1: Uh, Well, I would say if it's not paid <clears throat> is, and this is why, and this is so going back to your first question way at the beginning. Um, so this is what I think the role, like part of the role of traditional PR. Again, we don't do PR and we, you know, that's not our game. It's not my interest. Um, and we just, we just don't do PR. But I think that's what the role of PR is, is to, 'Cause a lot of times you will have a story that like on first glance, like from press release format, you'll read it and you'll be like, eh, it's just another boring story. Um, not cool, readers won't be interested. And and that's kind of where that, that PR role comes in, where the, the the PR professional says, Hey, you know what, I want to develop a relationship with you and I'm only gonna pitch stuff to you that you know, that I actually think will help you as a journalist to get you know, get more readers.
0: Yeah, or is relevant to your audience. Uh, I mean you wouldn't believe the yeah, amount of yeah, yeah. just completely unrelated. I mean, I get PR for like cat toys for bike Rumor, Like seriously.
1: But but let's say that let's say that PR person developed a relationship with you, and then you know over the course of whatever their you know their weekend trip they, they took you on, and then and then it clicks, and you get it, and you're like, I understand now why this this cat toy makes sense on my publication it's a growing segment, it's a trend, you know, this is what in the next five years, there's going to be cats all over bikes, <clears throat> whatever. Anyway, that's what I think the the role of, that's, that, so that would be part of it. I would say like part of it's kind of this intangible because it's not really paid, but it's kind of paid because from the brand's perspective, they have to pay PR to do it. Right. Um, and then on the paid side, I mean, I would say in terms of best practice on the paid, going back to the question, I mean, I, I just don't see a lot of value in, in like, I don't know. You, you can take a piece of content and you can do a handshake. I think it's called a handshake on Facebook and promote a piece of content through another publication. So it says like brand via bike rumor or whatever. And then you would be the one promoting it because you have authority and credibility to your audience. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, you can create syndication ads through like outbrain and, and taboola. Um, that's like a cheap source of traffic and it's, at the end of the day, it does like it has its own virality factor. So for every thousand people you drive, like five of them will share it on their own. And then if they share it on their own or they'll link to it, um, you know, you do, you, you are able to get some SEO, um, juice out of those channels. Hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: I I refuse to run those content (laughs) recommendation engines on bike room it's horrible stuff.
1: So what you could do then is you could curate your own, um, content recommendation, you know, for the bike industry, right?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like it.
1: And, in, and then you just bump up, you know, bump up the CPCs cause you know, the lowest the CPCs will go down for on, um, on those syndication engines is like three cents or four cents In Facebook, you can get about 10 cents, right? So if the brand has their own story that they want to produce, and they want to promote it to a particular audience, they can get it down to $0.10 cents a click, You know, even lower if they, if they really know what they're doing and they split test like you know, 20 different ads, 27 different ads is, is how, how, how that split testing campaign works. <clears throat> but they can bring the, the click down to like $0.10. Cents. Maybe they go to you, and because you have an audience and a brand and it's kind of like a third-party promotion, it's kind of like an ad, maybe you could charge $0.20 cents a CPC. I've actually thought about this. I've actually thought about making a collection of, um, of a bunch, bunch of outdoor publications, <clears throat> kind of a, their own little syndicate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then the content recommendation engine would only run in that like, pre-approved syndicate. Um, and there's, you know, there's, no, there's no reason to only put content, you could also put product ads down at the bottom, um, and your CPCs would be like, I don't know, 30 cents.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. I've I've kind of wondered why somebody hasn't sort of done like a a mini syndication of that, you know, like group together all these outdoor sites, a lot of them run by just a few people that, you know, may or may not have their ad sales team and just, you know, sell ads against, you know, 10 or 20 sites instead of each one trying to do it on their own. But yeah, that's, that content thing's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's on my list of like, I have this little list of business ideas that I'd want to pursue at some point <laughs> and it's on there, but it's just a lot of development. You got to have a web developer that the thing is you could do it through, you could just build a plugin in WordPress and yeah. cause most out blogs are WordPress and you can just download it. And it's like, it wouldn't be that difficult, but you know, who's got a PHP developer background or buddy who's willing to pitch in on a project that, you know, at the end of the day might make a couple grand a month. <clears throat> yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. It's a
0: good idea though. All right. So before we get too much further off topic, the going back to like <laughs> instead of like blog strategy, like you said, like when you're talking like content strategy, like overall across all channels for your clients, how do you tie together? that content across, say, social media channels and their own blogs and external blogs and and whatever else, like you guys try and get that content out to.
1: Um, So basically, how do you make the content feel integrated? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, sort of. Like, how, How does it,
0: you know, no matter where you find it, it's or is there a different strategy for, say, posting a piece of content to Facebook versus Twitter versus anything else versus your own blog versus, say, my blog?
1: So typically what happens is um, <clears throat> the, the, editorial gu- the editorial calendar is driven um, from the brand. Are you talking about from a brand's perspective?
0: Yeah, like, what do they need to do to make sure that the message is cohesive, even though, you know, like, yeah, like, I mean, each social media outlet, you're right, like, a certain type of content is going to do better on Facebook versus Twitter and vice versa, and then longer-form content on a blog. So, like, when you have to produce slightly different types of content for all these different outlets, like, is there a couple of tips or strategies people can use to make sure that it, it's still sort of cohesive.
1: You know, I would say I would say a couple of things. Um, like, usually the editorial calendar, so from a brand's perspective, usually the edi- editorial calendar is already defined, um, and that's, sorry, yeah, the editorial calendar is the same thing as the email calendar for most brands, and the email calendar is the same thing as like the inventory calendar. So it's all <laughs> driven by sales in terms of like, what inventory needs to be pushed when for, for some brands, they already know what inventory is available um, and needs to be pushed for other brands. It's like, you know, it's kind of this burning fire. Like, you'd be surprised that the number of brands have this burning fire situation where it's like, Oh, we're out of this product. We've got to change our, our editorial calendar <laughs> and like they won't get inventory for, you know what I mean? And then you have to reach, you have to change your editorial calendar around inventory. Um, which happens. That's, that's, you know, that's like the lean and mean philosophy of, of inventory. Anyway, um, that's how I see it. Usually like our editorial calendars are driven off of our, um, off of sales calendars and off of the email calendars. Email calendar is usually the, like the calendar that all the other, um, social calendars are built off of or all the other channels, I should say. Right. Cause I mean, essentially email is just another social media channel. It's just, Different because you own those contacts as opposed to renting them from Facebook. Right. Because um, you don't have to pay anyone to, to reach your own following.
0: So, when um, you have, like, let's say you've got product A needs to be promoted. That's what's going out in the email newsletter. How do you repackage that content for all of the different channels, you know, for your own blog, for PR, for social? Right. Like, well, do you have to the, put craft different messages.
1: Yeah. So again, so blog, the turn, the lead time is a lot longer. So it's not like you can just write an article about a product and then like blog will help contribute to the sales goal. It is almost, you know, actually that that's not how that, how blog works. Blog is like we have these, well, because it takes time to rank in the search engines. And so let's say they're taking an SEO approach to, to blog and let's say that you want to rank for, very particular search queries around a certain product category, like like let's just say it's like a ultra running shoes or something, and you mm-hmm. want to rank for, you know, what is the difference between, um, like, you know, PU and EVA footbed or or whatever, um, <clears throat> and that's that's a pretty that's a pretty overwritten term, um, by the way, but let's just say it's something like that, some technical, um, that's going to take like a um, of promoting, of collecting, you know, collecting SEO to that article, like collecting link juice before you'll actually rank for it. Your your email calendars are quick. Like those lead times have to be really fast because they're based on seasonal inventory, not on overarching categories. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, for so you who I was listening to. I think it was like Pat Flynn's podcast or something. He's like, yeah, if you want to if you're going to be writing stories about top 10 best Halloween costumes, you need to be publishing that in like August.
1: Yeah. And that story's just never going to rank because you have like slate.com and Huffington Post and like every single big publication is going to be writing on that. So it's going to be very difficult to rank for that. You might be able to do something like top 10 Halloween costumes for ultra runners who also have dogs or something. And then you can rank number one for that and maybe get like, you know, hundred clicks a month out of it. All right. Um, well, that but again, a, same, a good point then. the media
0: outlets with massive reach, you don't want to be competing with them on the same content because you're not going to win. So how do you figure out, uh, a, what they're doing and then b like how to do it differently enough that it still accomplishes your goals, but it kind of finds fresh eyeballs.
1: There, there's all these tools out there where you can like see what keywords are not competitive, but I mean, it's just like, it's just a hunch. Like you, you don't really have to use these tools. You can just know that like top 10 Halloween costumes for 2017 like that, that topic is just going to be so overwritten and so competitive that, you know, your, your article won't see the light of day except to your own audience. Um, but there are variations of that search query that you can, you know, you can segment it by adding in for runners or whatever, um, for people who have cats or something like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just in some sense, it's just like common sense. Um, you know what's going to be competitive, and you know what's going to be like relatively easy to win. And then you can just Google it and see how how competitive it is. But yeah, you can use like the AdWords AdWords tool. You can Webmaster has some tools that you can see like competitiveness on certain search queries. You can also do it through. Um, there's a tool that we use um, called um, SEM Rush that gives you pretty accurate data on like competitiveness for keywords. Um, but at the end of the day, like I don't use any of that stuff because it's all, it's like you can just Google it and it takes way less time. And you can just, In other words, you can just Google the search query and it takes way less time or you can just know it on top of your head. Like, you know, Hey, this is gonna be really competitive. Yeah. And then if you're like, you know what, let's see if this is competitive, then Google it. And you're like, okay, according to Google, it's not. All right, great. Now let's try it in, you know, in the AdWords um, keyword tool.
0: And so when you say it's, it is or it's not, like when you Google the phrase, how do you know if it's competitive? If, like, the biggest media outlets all show up and rank for it?
1: Yeah. If there's, like, 20 different articles on the same topic and they're all written by, like, Men's Health and Men's Journal and Outside Magazine, then it's probably pretty competitive. Okay. Now here's the thing, too, is Bike Rumor has... You know, you guys have like quite a bit of SEO, you know, like redirectable SEO. So you can rank for big and, and you've got like, so you know, like domain authority and page authority, like you've got a lot of authority according to Google. Um, so if you wrote a topic, Google already knows you're an authority, you know, on that particular topic. So you do have a shot at ranking for pretty competitive terms.
0: But as a brand with your yeah. own little blog, you really don't.
1: Well, it depends. If your brand, if Google rec so, <clears throat> you know, Google looks at three things when they, when they rank you, they look at your um, keyword relevance, they look at link juice and they look at, um, oh, I forgot what the other one is. Um,
0: it's right. I do that all the time too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they, uh, so if your keyword, so let's say that you're like a titanium stove company or something. And, you know, maybe you don't have a ton of link juice, um, but your keyword relevance is very high because all you make is titanium stoves. Well, if you write articles on titanium stove, you're probably gonna rank for it um, because your keyword relevance is really high. Does that make sense? In ter- yeah. Oh, oh um, user behavior is the third one. Um, so if they see, like, you know, people coming in, bounce within, you know, five seconds, um, and 99% of the traffic does that, then Google's gonna know this is spam. They come in. They're clicking in through multiple articles, or they're they read past, you know, a minute. Bounce rate's low. Time on page is high. Um, you know that gets factored into um, where how you rank. Yeah. And what was the term you used that kind of clipped
0: out for a second? Um, that piece is called user behavior. User behavior. Gotcha. Cool. Let's kind of wrap up with sort of an overview. So if somebody a brand thinks they need a content strategy. What are like the two or three top things they should do just to get started?
1: I'd say the first thing is figure out like why in other words, what is their metrics of success? What are they trying what like are they trying to achieve page views? Are they trying to achieve, you know, increased rankings in Google, like what, first figure out like what the, what the goal in a number, it's gotta be a number. Um, it can't be like, you know, Oh, engagement. Like that's not a number or, you know, Oh, uh, brand awareness. That's not a number. It's gotta be like a specific number related to, um, and then once you get, once you have like that number, um, then you can build the, the, tactics behind it right yep so the first thing i would be is figure out the why and then once you figure out the why figure out the number and then and then you can start building you know sort of the the how behind the number yeah exactly
0: cool and so let's because i'm curious so (laughs) give yourself a little commercial here like what would be the advantage of working with a third party like you guys to build out the content for a brand versus trying to do it in house and then also like can you give us some like ballpark of uh what does it cost to get somebody to do it for you versus maybe hiring somebody in house
1: so i probably won't go too far into the costs but i will say why um why they would want to go um do it in-house versus out of house. I mean, to be really frank, it's cheaper to do it in-house. Um, but I mean, it's the same reason why anyone, any brand contracts work out, they, they don't have the resources. They, you know, it's like you're hurting a bunch of cats, like, you know, and they might already already have like 50 brand ambassadors on, on staff and, you know, they'd be willing to write whatever. I mean, it's it's like this. It's it's the same reason why any brand would contract out, you know, like email marketing, for example, you know, like they may just so happen to have a excellent UI UX designer who knows how to code emails for 20 different browsers on 10 different devices, you know. But chances are they don't have that, so they they're just going to contract it out. Um, otherwise, their emails are going to look pretty shitty. Um, so it's the same thing with blog. Like, yeah, you can you can do it in house and I would recommend that most, most brands, you know, do it in house. They just build kind of a strategy up front. Um, and that's something that we consult on is helping them build their strategy. Um, but it's the same reason that they'd want to, you know, contract out web development or email, email design is, um, which is, I mean, that's what companies like us do day in and out.
0: Yeah. It's just not their core capability.
1: I mean, for some folks it is. Like a lot of people internal, they came from magazines and they know how to do, you know, build a content strategy and editorial calendar and all that stuff. But even then they run out of time, you know. Now, the, only, the only thing I was going to add to that was, um, but the current, like <clears throat> most blog articles I see from brands is like trip reports and kind of like these ambassador stories. I would almost say that's kind of a waste of time and money. Because <laughs> um, it doesn't, accomplish, well, it does kind of give like, a recognition factor to the ambassador because they see their work published and it keeps them stoked on the brand. So from that perspective, it's great for retention. Um, but other than that, like, I don't know, kind of a waste.
0: Yeah, as a sales tool, it doesn't seem, you know, it's a very, very slow tail versus.
1: It's just a lot, of, a lot of effort that's going into something that at the end of the day does not move any needles. It just sits there and gets no traffic.
0: Right, so for your own blog for Gearographer, it's like what are some of the things you guys have learned from writing that that you've been able to apply with to your clients' campaigns to help make them more successful?
1: You know probably the best thing that's a great question. Probably the best thing that I've learned um, on running our own content strategy is um, so you find one piece of content or one. I heard this in a seminar one time you find something that works and don't double down on it. Don't triple down on it. Tech 10 X down on it. Um, and that's kind of how it works with editorial is, you know, you write all these different articles that like, you know, kind of get some traffic, but then you'll write one article and that one article is responsible for like, you know, 20% of your traffic and your top 10 articles are responsible for 80% of your traffic, you know, cause it's mostly search traffic. Um, At least that's, you know, that's what we're doing because we're not actively promoting stories these days. So most of our traffic is coming in from, like, like five articles. Um, And those five articles have a very similar theme, right? So we found something that's worked. It's a hole in – it's basically a hole in the market, a hole in – like, there's just not a lot of supply, but there's a lot of demand for that kind of content. So once you run into something like that, like, milk it. Like, just write a hundred different variations of that article um, and – you know, create like an editorial strategy around just that, that content. Awesome. And
0: then you mentioned, you're not really, yeah, no, it's brilliant. I've heard similar things from others too, is you, you mentioned that you don't boost your stories is I'm I'm guessing you mean like, but kind of like paid boosts on Facebook or whatever. Um, is that for a brand's post, if it sees that something they're doing has a little bit of traction, should they be paying to boost those stories or
1: content? Yeah. I mean, it all goes back to like the goal. I mean, if they're boosting by like 10 or 20 bucks then, and it's like a good piece, then sure. Um, I mean, even from the, the e-commerce standpoint, like let's say that you have an article, like I'll just give an example. We have an article for one of our clients that brings in like, you know, almost 9,000 pages a month just through organic search and it collects a ton of SEO. And with that one article, we can just like link into a category page, And, you know, drive like, well, kind of, that's not not really how that works anymore, but um, anyway, that one article is responsible for like quite a bit of SEO juice collected in the blog. Um, And, where was I going with this, you were saying, I forgot what you were saying.
0: If you pay to boost something, like is it it worth a brand paying to boost some of their content if it's getting a little bit of traction, or should you just focus on writing more of the same type of content? Or both? Yeah.
1: I I mean, the answer to, answer to that is yes. I mean, assuming that it lines up with your business goals, right? Because if you're just boosting content and you're getting like, even if you getting like a million page views a month, but you don't have a direct channel, it just doesn't make any sense. Like why, you know, it doesn't, it's not producing any ROI, but let's just assume that it, it does fit with your brand goals and it does make sense and you're getting some, um, some traction. Well, one way to look at it is, you know, <clears throat> on all these channels, if you, if you kind of step back and, Um, look at the content from just kind of a technical perspective of what it is. It's just a piece of content that is being viewed at a certain um, CPM, right? So if your CPM on that particular piece of content is very low, um, that means that users are responding to it and that like it is in some sense like, like authentic to your brand, right? Because it's being shared. Um, So if you look at blog content like that, like let's say you have a story that's just, you know, just, just crushing it and you know, you boost it and every time you boost it, it's like maybe getting two X or three X the reach of your normal posts. Well, you just found a piece of content that has a very low CPM um, and you can expose people to your brand with, you know, at that point, that at that point, that piece of content becomes a tool because you can just, does that make sense? Like you've got this, this thing that's producing CPMs at a very low price and it's like very, and, and it's very authentic to your brand. Yeah. Um, and I so think now you can for use the people that.
0: That kind of don't know what we're talking about. So like when you boost a story on Facebook, right? Like if it's, if it's popular and people are sharing it, it's kind of growing on its own as well. Then they end up charging you less per thousand impressions than something that's not. So if you're seeing that your CPM, your effective CPM on boosted posts is really low, it means it's really popular. And those are the ones that you should kind of really milk more of.
1: Yeah. If you're in that stage where you need to, you know, build brand awareness and like it's important because because that's how magazines charge. Right. They charge by, you know, some kind of like impression or readership number, which is essentially, um, you know, digital. They do they do the CPM um, cost for a thousand impressions. And so yeah, it's, it's just almost... a cheap ad that's authentic. <laughs> That, yeah um, it's almost a reverse relationship it,
0: it's, it's like the the more reach a magazine has the more they charge whereas on social it's like the more right. reach your post is getting it's the the less they're going to charge it's kind of nice for a change yep.
1: yep yep so i even look back into posts that had been published like up to 2 years ago and as long as they're still like authentic and you know they still have like some you know they're so relevant um we'll boost those because it's just—it doesn't matter when it was published. It just matters what the cost for thousand impressions is. If it's—if it's truly like a good reflection of the brand, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, you know, I appreciate all the tips and advice. There's a lot of good actionable stuff in here. So, thanks for your time, man.
1: Yeah. Same, same here. I'll uh, talk to you soon.
0: There's a reason why it's called a content marketing strategy and not just content marketing. My big takeaway from Yoon's advice is to have a clear purpose for doing it. Before you start producing content, know why you're doing it and what your goals are. Then determine how you'll measure the results. Only then will you know the type of content you need to create and where you need to put it. Keep the end goal in mind as you're developing your strategy and editorial calendar, and think through whether you have the time, energy, or expertise to execute or even develop the strategy on your own, or if you should outsource or hire for it. I broke down the key topics from this conversation into actionable items on the blog. Just search content on thebuildcycle.com to find that and links to the online tools you recommended and more. Got questions? Or a topic you want me to explore with experts? message me on Facebook Twitter or Instagram. I'm at the build cycle on all three. Here's hoping you're writing a great story until next time keep building.